0: And welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Mimi Shigaga. Dr. Shigaga is a licensed clinical psychologist based in Los Angeles. She is in private practice and specializes in conducting psychological testing and assessment. Her areas of focus include assessing for ADHD, specific learning disorders, and differential diagnoses. She's completed advanced training and research in the areas of neuropsychology and human sexuality. Welcome, Dr. Shigaga.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, I've been wanting to interview you because I've worked with you for many years now. And you are often someone I think of when I am thinking of wanting a client or patient I see to get some site testing done. And I thought it would be helpful to just clarify what that is and what the process is so people have a little bit of a better understanding of what that means and you know why that could be helpful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great question that I think a lot of people, they hear the terms, you know, psych testing and assessment, and it's used sort of interchangeably sometimes. But basically, you can assess for a variety of reasons, right? And the way the assessment looks varies from individual to individual, depending upon the reason that they're seeking the assessment. So whatever the referral question is. So for example, if an individual is referred who may possibly have ADHD, it's a great way to take the full comprehensive picture of the individual's background and also utilize objective instruments as a way to measure how they're performing cognitively, you know, with their memory, with their executive functioning, which I'm sure we'll get into what all that means, but it's a great way to have objective data in addition to just clinical judgment or self report so there's a little bit more of a scientific process if you will than just walking into a clinician's office and just filling out a self report questionnaire just reporting the symptoms that one has because with so much in in the realm of mental health there's a lot of crossover symptoms right there are certain You know, for example, sometimes an individual who has anxiety, their symptoms might match an individual who has ADHD and vice versa. So psych testing and assessment, it's a way to really get to the bottom of what's going on diagnostically and to rule out, you know, if there is a differential disorder at play.
0: Right. We jumped right into the ADD testing because that is typically how I work with you, right? That I have, I see a client and they're talking about history of ADD symptoms and their current symptoms. But this is just another way to get objective data to really kind of point to accuracy of diagnosis, versus kind of other things that might be contributing to some of those symptoms like anxiety. Let's focus on the ADHD testing first, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder.
1: What are those objective measures? What do you measure and how do you do that? Yeah, so again, a great question. So. Whenever we're dealing with the realm of psych testing and assessment, there are different types of assessments. So, you know, a patient might hear different terminology used. So specifically looking for ADD, we would call that a neuropsych assessment, right? So we're looking at different areas of the brain and the functioning and your cognition, memory. And I mentioned executive functioning a few minutes ago, but that's kind of the, the, the part of our brain, if you will, that's implicated in inhibition and impulsivity and, and planning and organizing. So those are some of the things that, as we know, if an individual is a little bit depressed, a little bit anxious, that's going to be impacted just as an individual who may have ADD, ADHD, and not have depression or anxiety, it that area will also quite possibly show deficits or or prove to be a relative weakness to their profile. So essentially, a thorough, comprehensive neuropsych assessment, it requires multiple meetings, and it's a combination of some of the self-report measures that I mentioned before, where the patient will just either on a checklist and or through clinical interview report their history and describe some of the symptoms that they've experienced historically. But then also there are very specific measures that look at intelligence, processing speed, all of the attention skills, simple, sustained, complex attention, working memory, which are working memory in ADD, that there's a lot of research that indicates that individuals who have deficits in the working memory area, often it's correlated with the diagnosis of ADHD. And I always like to describe the working memory as sort of like, on the computer, whenever you go to copy and paste something, the computer is sort of storing that temporarily. To manipulate that information. And then, so so thinking about it, whenever you copy or cut, rather, you pull it away. And then, whenever you go to paste it on a computer, that's kind of like our brain's working memory circuitry. So, people with ADHD oftentimes will really struggle with that. But there are objective ways of looking at those different areas in the brain. And an individual typically, when they have ADD, their profile will test out in such a way that indicates some deficits or relative weaknesses in some of those areas.
0: Got it. And it sounds like in these testing, you compare it to maybe what is a kind of a normal test? Or how, what is it? What do you compare it to?
1: Yeah, so so another beautiful part of, of psych testing and assessment is because they're objective measurements they're all normed, right? For example, when we look at intelligence, when we do an intelligence test, it's not like a traditional test when we think of school and we think of pass, fail, or, or, or a grade, right? It's more of a measurement where all of the tests are normed to reference groups, right? So basically what that means is an individual is being compared to the pool of other individuals, you know, similar age, similar with some of them, even socioeconomic background. That's, that's a whole other territory there, but it's normed, right? So it's a way to kind of compare to what the average individual, the average range where they would test out at. So you're able to see if a person is performing higher than that or lower than that, or kind of right where the, what we, what the norm would be considered. So it's, it's a way of, of comparing, you're, you are comparing to that group, but it's more of a measurement. It's not a pass fail where we, when we traditionally think of a test, it's more of a, of a measurement. So it sounds like memory is a big one that you incorporate. Yes. So again, some individuals who are experiencing depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, there are certain mood disorders and anxiety disorders that Present with memory difficulties, right? Either they report that their short term memory is impacted or their long term memory. Doing the testing can be a way to suss out if there is a mood disorder at play or if it's more attributable to something that's going on neurocognitively.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So, kind of in addition to the memory testing, what are the other tests that are performed?
1: Yeah. So we look at. It, our intelligence, our cognition. And within that, we're, we're looking at processing speed, psychomotor speed, working memory, as I mentioned, part of memory though. We also look at the psychological piece as well, right? So that's personality testing, looking at if there are certain clinical scales that are elevated. So Again, you know, if there's mood disorder, or depression scale, if that's elevated, or if there might be some mania or hypomania going on, because occasionally an individual will report with something that sounds like ADD or ADHD, but actually it's more attributable to possible mania or hypomania. Even that impulsivity, you can see with bipolar disorder, how there's a bit of a crossover where an individual with ADD or ADHD might have some of that impulsivity historically or you know, difficulty with inhibition. So the other piece of the testing also looks at that. It looks at the personality. It takes into account if there are those kinds of factors at play, comparing it with the, and again, it's, it's normed, right? So it's normed to the population and you're able to see if there are clinical elevations as well in those domains that are just strictly personality, mood, emotional related, in addition to looking at the cognition and the memory and all of those other areas.
0: So, why would someone feel like they needed to do the step of doing psych testing in addition to just doing kind of a basic history? Because you think of psych testing as a deeper look, right, and a deep right. uh, kind of a more official confirmation of something. So, why would someone need to go through this process?
1: Right. That's a, again a great question. Some individuals. I've seen this many times where they come in with a previous diagnosis or maybe diagnoses. Maybe they've, you know, had a a few opinions over their lifespan that maybe some of those opinions might even be conflictual. But a common one that I've seen is where they've been treated with medication and they've tried several medications and the medications haven't been effective. So They need to be assessed at maybe a deeper level to try to get that diagnostic clarification to to best inform treatments. That's an example. Another example would be if, you know, for example, there are tests as well, we would call them more in the psychoeducational domain where children, school-age children, or even adults in college or grad school, they're strengths and weaknesses relative to their to their profile academically, that can also be a way to assess if there's any kind of learning difficulty going on, right? Because as we know, the research does indicate that there is, it's not un, entirely uncommon for an individual who has ADHD to also have a co-occurring specific learning disorder. So some individuals, they go through school and they are high achieving, they have high intelligence, but because of that, they're able to develop compensatory skills. So it doesn't, nothing pops out on paper and their grades and there are no behavioral issues or anything like that to indicate that there might be some kind of struggle. But having that objective measurement and looking at where the individual is performing academically, and where it would be predicted that they would be performing based upon their intellectual and cognitive functioning that can also be incredibly revealing in terms of strengths and weaknesses and if there is if there is actually a specific learning disorder at play so that would be an example of that as well it's just it further illuminates if there's an issue there that can sometimes go unnoticed
0: and I'm curious if someone comes in because they've tried different medications for ADD and nothing's working or has worked to the degree that they had hoped for, what usually happens when you do that testing? What I mean, I know every case is so different, but what is usually the outcome?
1: It's interesting because I've seen people come in and they're sure that they have ADD or, you know, they're, they're just positive that they have it. And then we do an incredibly thorough assessment and they don't, they, they just don't. And it's actually more attributable to something else. Right. And then I've seen other individuals who are, you know, people even throughout the lifespan that they're high achieving, highly successful. And it's, there's a curiosity, right. Or something kind of coming up for them later in life. And they go, you know, I really, you know, I'm experiencing some interpersonal difficulties in my relationship at home or with my child and in a way that I never have before. And I've always kind of wondered about this, you know, and I want to get to the bottom of it. I've tried different medications and nothing's ever really been that effective. So I'm curious, you know, curiosity piece. And then If you know the results do reveal that that's what's going on. If it is ADD, that can be it can be incredibly healing for people too to look back and kind of make sense of things. You know that's actually a really really interesting situation that I've I've encountered quite frequently where an adult they got through school they got through college they're functioning you know well occupationally but then something kind of happens that you know, where they kind of come full circle with it. Because the other thing too, is with ADHD, it's still a relatively new, it's more recently recognized than, you know, say 20, 30 years ago. So there are quite a few people out there who know history of being diagnosed when they were a child or, you know, certainly no assessment when they were a child. So that can be really, as I mentioned, it can be very healing for people. The other thing I was
0: thinking, another common reason why I'm sure people seek out psych testing is they're trying to apply for some sort of accommodation through their school, through testing, through standardized testing. And most of the time, it seems like they do need that objective data to report to whoever is making decisions whether or not they're eligible for accommodations.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. And again, the the psychoeducational piece that I was mentioning a few minutes ago, it's sometimes things like specific learning disorders and ADHD, they're not as evident if a person is, you know, if they have a high level of intelligence and then they have other high level resilience and other strengths within their personality and within their makeup that kind of push them to excel they will likely develop compensatory skills that are not going to be obvious to the naked eye, right? And then doing that kind of assessment where you're able to look at all of these things objectively, it will highlight that. And it can be really eye-opening for a lot of people to go through that process and to actually see the, you know, the objective measurements of all of that.
0: Yeah, And the finished product of your assessment is a full report that you hand to a person. So they have kind of the results and interpretation of all these tests. And what I love when I, when I get these tests as a psychiatrist, I love having them because it gives me extra data to then base my decisions on. And I always pay, you know, very close attention to your recommendations. And so I guess my question is how do you formulate recommendations based on your testing specifically in thinking about ADD and ADHD. Yeah,
1: well, you know, oftentimes as as we know, the first line of treatment is medication for that diagnosis. The research consistently shows that that's the most effective. Again, though, with testing when we look at you very comprehensively at the person's history, sometimes medication there's particularly stimulant medication might actually be contraindicated if they have a history of substance abuse or even if they have anxiety co-occurring with the ADHD that can sometimes exacerbate that so once again another reason why a comprehensive assessment like that can be very very helpful to inform treatment you know it it really depends on the individual taking all of that into account you know there are newer treatments that are kind of coming to the fore now, if you will, such as brain mapping and, you know, neurofeedback, biofeedback that still gathering a lot of research about the, you know, the efficacy of that. But, you know, if someone has a hesitation to consider medication, you know, looking at alternative ways of going about trying to address some of those symptoms, but it is just like the assessment process itself, you know, the, the test that we put together for the individual, it's tailored, it, it is tailored to the individual's needs. And it's the same thing with the treatment recommendations. It's very much taking into account the individual's history and what the diagnosis is and also what their, you know, their current functioning level is and, you know, what areas of their life it may or may not be impacting. Yeah.
0: The other question I have is, I'm so glad we're doing this interview because I think there's a lot of, that people don't understand about psychological testing and the process. And something I often come up with is people ask, well, can any therapist, can any psychologist do psych testing? And so can you kind of let us know how to figure out how to find someone who does that? And can any therapist or psychologist do it? I mean, how do you find that person to, to get this done?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so only licensed clinical psychologists, at least in the state of California, it's my understanding that in many states, that's a same case, they're trained and, and not even every psychologist is trained, right? It, it's all based upon what kind of training they have, but it is a very specialized field where you... You know the individual needs to learn how to administer the tests, score them, interpret them. There's a science to it, and it's a very specific part of the field. That's it's it's, psychological testing assessment is very different from from psychotherapy. So there are a lot of therapists out there, you know, who hold various licenses. You know, psychologists, marriage and family therapists, licensed clinical social workers, but people who are licensed at the masters level are not actually able to administer comprehensive psychological assessments they can administer maybe certain measures but not a full comprehensive assessment like that and then even psychologists the best way to go about it would be to look at the person's training and what you know what their background is in terms of if they had some kind of exposure to learning how to administer those different tests because it's very, it is very different than specific psychotherapy modalities.
0: Right. And I would assume also psychologists who do this, it's very clear that this is what they do. So, you know, that is kind of how they present themselves. If they have a website that this is the type of service that they provide because it is so specialized. Yes, right?
1: yes absolutely.
0: Well, so there's so much we could talk about psych testing and I, know we focused on ADD cause I think it's usually how I interact the most, most with you, but what are other reasons? I mean, what are other reasons why someone would u- utilize your services or someone who does psychological testing?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned before, even assessing for specific learning disorders, that's very common. And you brought up, um, you know, if an individual is seeking accommodation, sometimes an individual will have a prior diagnosis but need updated testing. Another great reason that an individual could specifically seek neuropsych assessment is if they are experiencing cognitive decline, you know, sometimes individuals throughout the aging process, it's cognitive decline is, you know, it sets in in our around-ish age 30, you know, and it's it's steady from there. But if someone is experiencing certain degree of cognitive impairment, that's not normal age-related cognitive decline, going through the assessment process can be a great way to establish a baseline to be able to kind of revisit. You can go back and get retested every few years to measure if there are certain areas, for example, with memory or attention to kind of get a gauge on on where you're at with that. Legal cases, sometimes it's actually a court-ordered process for certain individuals. If there's some type of a lawsuit or you know and that's the term for that would be forensic assessments which there are a lot of going back to your question about how to find someone there are a lot of psychologists that specialize in the forensic assessment area anytime there's certain autoimmune disorders i've i've done a lot of work with this in my practice actually certain autoimmune disorders will lead to the development of neurological symptoms and the neuropsych assessment process can be very very helpful to aid treatment in that area as well because again if an individual walks into a neurologist's office and and reports memory issues or certain issues with their vision or you know cognitive impairment it's hard to gauge relative to that person's profile if that's normal or may, maybe it's excessive. So having those objective measurements of that can be incredibly helpful to inform treatment in that regard as well. Okay, there's so many different different directions we could go
0: in to talk about this. I guess one question is, what made you interested in this
1: specific field in psychology? Oh yeah, this, as you can tell, I love talking about this. And I'm very, very passionate about it. So I actually, I had MFT training, marriage and family therapist training, and kind of along the way throughout the licensing process, you know, working at different facilities and different agencies and and whatnot, I quite accidentally backed into a practicum where I I had exposure to testing and I just completely fell in love with it. I have a lot of training and background in, in, in psychotherapy as well. And At this particular site, I started doing the assessments. And within that realm, even seeing how having a formal assessment done can even jumpstart the therapeutic process, that was just so eye-opening to me. And and I think that even that, it's a way of of gathering a lot of data and a lot of information about a person's background, about their cognitive profile, to just jumpstart that with the therapist to where I've joked around about this before, but for some people it's like, you're able to kind of walk into a therapist's office and hand that report over. And it's like, you're, you're bypassing the first 10 sessions, you know, cause it's a, it's a really quick way for the therapist to kind of very quickly get all of this background information and kind of see where things stand currently. So, and I saw how much it helps people too, People, and as as I mentioned, this was down the line several years later, but I do have a lot of experience working with people who are experiencing neurological symptoms and just seeing how impactful that that can be on that treatment process, you know, individuals with lupus and and similar autoimmune disorders, how healing it can be to to kind of see if there is something co-occurring psychologically that may be exacerbating some of those medical symptoms that they're reporting and just helping individuals in that regard and kind of bringing light to some of that. I, It's just, it was such a unique way for me to be able to help someone. And, and again, you know, using that objective data as part of that, I, to me, I have such a analytical scientific brain. So doing that really, it just really spoke to me and I, and I really enjoy helping people in that regard. And like I said before, it's definitely different than therapy, but it's still in that same realm to help inform treatment and to really help a person just get to the bottom of what's going on.
0: This is almost kind of totally different than what you're talking about right now, but when you were talking, talking about kind of helping people, helping them kind of get clarity on diagnosis. And I mean, I think that is incredibly helpful. I guess what the question I wanted to ask is how can you tell that someone is giving accurate
1: answers? Yeah. So another great question and another great great reason why the assessment process is it's so beneficial. There are certain tests, actually, you know, that we will throw in to what we term the battery, the test battery, the different tests that we that we pick and choose to design that's tailored to the individual that do look at if a Patient is over reporting or under reporting symptoms. So, within some of those personality tests, there are scales built in that look at that specifically. So, that's another way of kind of gauging, right? And sometimes individuals are actually, it's not necessarily a conscious effort to over report, right? They're genuinely experiencing a lot of distress. And some of those scales might come out a bit elevated or. Not right if they're underreporting something. So there are with some of those tests, there are built-in scales that kind of look at that. And then there are standalone tests that kind of measure if a person might be feigning symptoms, possibly for secondary gain, possibly not. It's those objective measurements that are kind of built in within the testing that kind of that look at that to differentiate if a person is. Being truthful, or if they're over reporting, even if it's maybe more attributable to psychological distress or a collapse in their current. Functioning.
0: yeah and I, I think that just speaks to the fact that the psych testing is very scientific right and it's it's a way that, that you get hard data really that doesn't always exist in the field of psychology right and right. it's the one one part that really does it kind of is very transparent in terms of someone's experience just in a different way so I mean it's just such an important tool so yeah. i'm happy to to kind of know that you are around doing this and that you're able to educate us about what it is, because there's a lot of questions about what it is. One question, which I think might be not a good question, but I don't know the answer to it. So I want to ask you, what is the difference between psychological testing and neuropsychological testing?
1: Oh yeah. And is a great question. So the term psychological testing it can be used sort of broadly, right? Some people will just use that term as a way, you know, as an all-encompassing term, that that would include a forensic assessment some type of legal case, a psychoeducational assessment, a neuropsych assessment. So specifically a neuropsych assessment, neuropsych testing versus just psychological testing. Psychological testing... Typically, if that term is used, it's more for psychodiagnostic testing, right? Where the battery might not actually be as involved, meaning there might not be as many tests. It might not be quite as comprehensive as the neuropsych assessment because the psychological or psychodiagnostic testing that's just more going to look at the personality and you know, clinically, if there's um, elevations and, and whatnot, if there might be specific mental health related disorders at play. Neuropsych testing and assessment that is going to include looking at those areas, but in addition to the looking at the brain, that your cognition, your memory, your executive functioning skills, all of those, your, your attention skills, processing speed, psychomotor speed, pure motor speed, all of that as well. Those tests wouldn't necessarily, they wouldn't necessarily be needed for just a basic psych assessment or psych, psych testing. So it's much more in-depth
0: and a much yes. longer process to, to do the neuropsych sort of testing. Yes. Well, I really appreciate your time. I'm so glad you were able to explain more of what you do to me and as well as to, to the listener before we say goodbye, any, anything we probably should have talked about that. we didn't
1: <laughs> No, I, you know, I think, I think that we, you know, we covered, I think the definitely hit on all the broad strokes and I'm always happy to answer any questions anyone has, as you can tell, I'm I'm incredibly passionate and I I completely geek out about this. And I get excited anytime there are new measures. In fact, you know, there are a couple this fall, a couple of new measures came out. So that does bring up something. This is a question I've had before. Some of these tests, they've been around for, you know, there's gold standard personality tests and, and whatnot, and they've been around for years. And that's why they're, they're considered highly valid, highly, highly reliable because of that. But particularly with the current climate right now, and in how a lot of, you know, light is being shined on different socioeconomic disparities, there is a movement to, work on reshaping some of the instruments that we use to kind of account for some of those differences. And particularly with a couple of the newly released tests, there was definitely research put into that during the developmental phase of all of that. So the other piece of this is while some of these measures have been around a really long time, which is great, It is also important that we keep with the current times and we're able to kind of take all of those things into consideration too. So I get excited when I hear about new measures coming out as well, and I I make an effort to try to incorporate them if I can. So that's an interesting thing, I think. That
0: is an interesting kind of new addition to the field and an important one, a very important one. Thank you for being with us today. I'll make sure I have all your information on the website description. So if people want to learn more about you and your services, that that will be easy for them to do. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you for having me, Dr. McNary.
0: This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and offices in downtown LA, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina del Rey, Echo Park, and Santa Barbara, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe.